the great Catholic convert, G.K. Chesterton, once remarked about his search for the truth in these following words. He wrote, I freely confess all the idiotic ambitions of the end of the 19th century. I did try to be in advance of the age. Like them, I tried to be some 10 minutes ahead in advance of the truth. And I found that I was 1,800 years behind it. 1,800 years behind it. I imagine at some point in the future, Western society will hopefully have a moment just like G.K. Chesterton in regard to the social experimentation they, and in a sense we, have been kind of part of and been performed on the family the past 150 years. That for all the papers, theories, legal changes, research to make a new family, that they will rediscover the words that we hear from today's gospel, from Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. What God has joined, nothing mortal must separate. And since this gets to the heart of what the family is and always has been and always will be, something God has created, something God has formed, something God has joined forever, becomes the central point where divine love is poured out into the world. That's the family. To bring it back to G.K. Chesterton once again, when he's reflecting on this concept of the family, the concept of tradition, what he calls orthodoxy, he says that this is the thrilling romance of orthodoxy or tradition. He says that people have fallen into the foolish habit of speaking of tradition as orthodoxy as something heavy, humdrum, and safe. He writes this beautiful passage, there is never anything so perilous or exciting as tradition. I think this weekend you can also, in much the same way, describe that as the family. But there is never anything so perilous, so dangerous, or as exciting as the family. That's what's drawn us here today as families, as individuals, but as people who are part of God's family, the body of Christ, the church. That's the reality. That's what's drawn people for countless centuries to God. And what God has given to us is this amazing gift, as the book of Genesis states today, because it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for humans to be alone. So in a sense, what is heavy, what is humdrum, what is safe, is a human person alone without family. It's a good reminder that the family, it predates the state. It predates, in a sense, society and law itself. It's there from the very beginning of human formation, so to speak. That the family is wild. It's kind of primeval. It's kind of, in a sense, exists even before government and law. And it's, of course, the fundamental cell that makes a society flourish or ultimately fail. The family, in a sense, gives us the framework for the church itself. I hope it's the place where we first come to know, to understand, and to love God himself. That's the family. It's in the family life that we get to know about God, that God has presented to us for the first time. It's a profound moment, to say the least, that, in a sense, can shape our futures for the rest of our lives. One of my favorite parts of the marriage rite is the nuptial blessing, which I get to bestow on the husband and wife. And there's an amazing passage that's bestowed upon them that we heard in part of today's responsorial psalm. I get to pray, may they be blessed with children and prove themselves virtuous parents who live to see their children's children. May they be blessed with children and prove themselves virtuous parents who live to see their children's children. 
one of the more challenging aspects of my work as a priest is to go to the hospital rooms to be with people who are dying. And trust me when I tell you there's a huge difference when I go to a room where there's a husband or wife, and they're literally surrounded not just with their children, but their grandchildren, sometimes great-grandchildren, their friends, their family, extended family. You can see how love has, in a sense, taken root in this marital bond. It's kind of permeated their whole lives and been distributed not just to their immediate family, but to everyone that they've ever met. It's a profound moment, yes, of sadness, but of great joy of how God fulfills his blessing. Conversely, when I sometimes go to those rooms where the husband, wife, or maybe just a single person might be alone for whatever reason. That could be a number of reasons for that, by the way, and we're never truly alone. We're part of the body of Christ. The angels, the saints are always with us. But there have been those situations where, for whatever reason, love didn't take root. It does not mean the person failed or anything like that. And God provides them this amazing gift at the end of their life to remind them they are indeed part of God's family. But there is a difference. In a sense, the family is that anchor point, the home location, in a sense, a beacon for God's love. So it draws God's love into it. But most importantly, it then gets distributed out into the world. That love that kind of permeates the reality itself, that's the purpose of a family. It's a great thing. It's a dangerous thing. It's a wonderful thing to be part of, at times maddening. As one scripture scholar wrote about this amazing passage today, he says that if every marriage is a reflection of the relationship of God to his cherished creature, man and woman, then we have to conclude that what is at stake at the bottom of all things is nothing less than God's intention in creating the world. But some aspect of marriage at its core is functioning as what God wants for the whole world. And what that is in a sense that man and woman in relationship with each other, with their children and with their families, in a sense reflects God's interior being as substantial love. That in the marriage, in the family, in our lives of relationships, we're reflecting God's interior being, who God is, which is love. God has that perfect relationship in the Holy Trinity of perfect and divine love, a perfect dance of love, we call it, the perichoresis. That God, at his core, is perfect love. And he wants to share that love with us, with all of creation. And what we see in the family is a mirror of that great love, that love that has been poured into us from the very beginning of time itself. That's what drives us. That's what makes us who we are. That's what makes the family worth fighting for every day of our lives, to defend, to support, to encourage and to protect to the best of our ability. That's what draws us here. So my hope and prayer this weekend, my brothers and sisters, is that not only do we know that we're not alone, that in our family relationships, we're being called to reflect God's love himself, to reflect reflect God's love to everyone that we meet in this world. This is something that truly defines us who we are as persons. Always remind the students at our school, the students I get to work with in faith formation, the students at EDGE, is that if you don't know by the time you leave Mount Carmel, whatever that is, that you are capable of receiving love and sharing love, then we failed on some fundamental level. That every person I've ever met, even the broken ones, myself included, are capable of receiving and sharing God's love. We can do it. It's not always easy. That's what draws us here, to be part of the body of Christ, to receive love itself on this altar, to take it with us, allow it to transform who we are as people, and not only keep it for ourselves, but to share it with our friendships, our families, those we work, study, and play with, to share it to a world that desperately needs this reminder that they are loved. So my brothers and sisters, let's truly know that we are loved by God, 
Let's receive, to the best of our ability, God's love in this Holy Eucharist and truly be part of God's family, both now, but forever in heaven. But forever in heaven. Amen.